0: In early March, I began a series, a series I'm calling The Fruit of Transformation. And I have been ministering from that series ever since, and today I'll add yet another message to that series as I minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling No Confidence in the Flesh. You say, Pastor Mark, what in the world does no confidence in the flesh have to do with transformation? Well, I think that's a reasonable question. That's a fair question. And the answer to that question is really the journey that I want to take us on this morning, over the next few minutes, as we explore our true identity in Christ Jesus. Friends, listen to me. It's an identity that can only come from understanding God's view and opinion of us. If we don't see our identity through His lens, If we don't see our identity through his eyes and through his words and through his heart, you'll never receive your identity, the correct identity, should I say. And so our true identity is found in Christ. And so as you can gather by the name of the message, our true identity is not found in the flesh. I have no confidence in my flesh. I don't. The flesh is not our friend. The flesh is not our watchman. The flesh is not our helper. The flesh is not our protector, and the flesh is not our savior. Jesus is all these things to us. He is all these things to us, and the flesh is just flesh. The flesh is us trying to establish our own glory, our own view and opinion of ourselves. The flesh will do that quite often. And as I scan the spiritual horizon and I see the evidence, of what it looks like for a man's soul to be transformed. The soul of the man, I'm talking about his mind, I'm talking about his will, I'm talking about his emotions. This is the soul of man. The most compelling evidence that a man's soul is under construction, that his soul is being transformed by the finished work of Jesus Christ crucified is when that man comes to the revelation that he can place zero confidence in the flesh. Zero confidence in the flesh to save him. Zero confidence in the flesh to keep him saved. And zero confidence in the flesh to transform his spiritual core, his spiritual condition. Zero confidence. So Jesus was walking with his disciples one day. They did a lot of walking in those days, okay? (laughs) He was out walking with his disciples. Oh, I wonder what that must have been like. I believe Jesus was always a chatterbox, always teaching, whether he was sitting down, whether he was just walking. The scriptures tell us that he ministered all the way on the road of Emmaus. And so Jesus was talking with his disciples one day when he decided to teach them a very insightful, a very powerful lesson regarding identity. He wanted them to see their identity and how identity should not change based upon geographics, based upon circumstances, Friends, let identity solidify on the inside of you. Get God's view, get God's opinion of you, and let that be your default. And when your circumstances change, that doesn't mean your identity has to change. When your geographics change, that doesn't mean your identity has to change. If God puts you in another ministry, that doesn't mean your identity has to change. Our identity should remain the same. So Jesus wanted his disciples to see that outward beauty is programmed in the DNA of the seed, friends. It's already in the seed. So that which is beautiful has been programmed into the DNA of the seed. And Jesus also wanted his disciples to see that beauty, outward beauty, does not come from its own glory. That is to say that Our beauty as believers does not come from our own personal view, our own personal opinion. Everybody's got viewpoints. Everybody's got personal opinions. But our true identity comes from God. What does the Father say? And so Jesus was walking with his disciples one day, and he decided to teach them a lesson. And we find that first lesson in Luke chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. Look at this word. And Jesus said consider the lilies, how they grow. (laughs) Oh, every once in a while I'll be walking around the house and at my highest screeching voice, you know that voice that shatters glass, that voice, I'll start singing, consider the lilies. And Valerie will always remind me that singing is not my gift. Amen. (laughs) And I said, I don't know, I might be talking about those lilies on Sunday. And I'll try to refrain, but it may come out in the form of a song. I don't know. Do you guys know that song? Unless Cons- oh, he wanted to do it right there. Consider the lilies. Amen. So Jesus says, consider the lilies, how they grow. So no doubt Jesus was walking along and he saw lilies growing. The disciples gathered around him, and he said, consider the lilies, how they grow. He said, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon, in all his glory, he just reached all the way back thousands of years before him and grabbed a man from the Old Testament, Solomon, a very rich king, David's son. He said, but I'm telling you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Jesus said, consider the lilies, how they grow. Let me ask you a question. How do lilies grow? Well, they grow effortlessly, number one. They grow quietly. You can't hear a lily growing. (laughs) Can you? They grow effortlessly. They grow quietly. They grow patiently. They're in no hurry to open up, friends. They're growing effortlessly. They're not working. They're not laboring. They're not toiling. They're growing quietly. They're not announcing, even though they look like trumpets. They're not announcing, look how beautiful I am. They grow patiently. They grow innocently. They grow purposefully to showcase daddy's beauty and they grow beautifully friends and jesus said they toil not they spin not and yet i say unto you that solomon in all of his glory there's that word that glory word is doxa d-o-x-a in the greek it means the view and opinion doxa the glory means the view and opinion so Jesus was saying that it didn't matter how many talented seamstresses that Solomon had toiling and spinning for him that the lily did not toil or spin but yet still outdressed the richest man that ever lived. Now that'd be hard to do if you think about it. I mean, we're so fancy today, man. You give a guy enough money, he'll make you a suit. There are suits that sell for tens of thousands of dollars. They're made with the finest of materials, with the finest thread, and they are made by the finest people in the world. And Jesus said, the lily outdresses Solomon. And it hasn't done a thing. Do you see this? And Solomon was clothed in purple and fine linen. Solomon dressed beautifully every day. You say, how can that be, Mark? Because the lily puts no confidence in her own petals. She puts no confidence in her own flesh. She effortlessly, she quietly, patiently, innocently, purposefully, and beautifully wears God's glory. Do you see that? That lily is wearing the Father's glory, Doxa glory God's glory God's view and opinion of her So what was Jesus trying to communicate what was he wanting to communicate to his disciples when he said consider the lilies He was letting his disciples know is that the lily can move from the field one day to the oven the next day so in the course of 24 hours the lily can go from the field to the oven yet the lily is still a lily it doesn't cease to be a lily in the oven friends and in those days what he's talking about some people will grab this passage and think well he's talking about hell something no he's not has nothing to do with it friends you see in those days you had to bake bread right you had to bake your food cook fish whatever it may be and you have to start a fire to bake how many of you know that you got to start a fire they didn't have the fancy stoves we have today did they You had to start a fire. And to start a fire, listen, I grew up in the mountains of Virginia. You just can't stick a log in there and put a big lighter under it and catch it on fire. You'll be there all day long. You start with burned up grass. You start with burned up flowers, things that catch fire just that fast. And then you put little smaller sticks on it, a little bit bigger sticks, a little bit, and then a piece of wood. But you have to start with burned up grass, burned up flowers that you've scooped up, that you've cut down with your sickle. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about they can be beautiful one day. They can be in the field one day. And they can be in the furnace the next day. He said, but they're still a lily. They're always a lily. Friends, let me tell you something. Our circumstances may change significantly from one day to the next. But our identity remains constant. Our identity should not change because of our circumstances Whether we are blossoming in the field or burning in the furnace, once a son, always a son. I don't say this very often, but once saved, always saved. Once his, always his. Once a lily, always a lily. Our identity is not found in our circumstances. Our identity is found in Christ. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ. He's the one who shed his blood for us. He's the one who sweat for us. He's the one who died for us. He's the one who said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And he wasn't just talking about the men at the base of the cross when he said that, friends. He was talking about all humanity. They don't know what they're doing. Daddy, just forgive them. And the father said, Son, that's exactly what I'll do. When they come to me, I'll say, you're forgiven. My son Jesus Christ. So a lot can change from one day to the next. On October 16th, listen to the date now. On October 16th of 1995, I had three sons. On October 17th of 1995, death came calling and picked one of my lilies. I lost one of my sons to death. So I know what it's like to go from the field to the oven. I know what it's like to go from, isn't this just beautiful? To a place that is just unbearable. I personally know that. His name was Taylor Jacob Testerman, by the way. Can I be candid with you? I pray that there's not a parent listening to my voice right now that will ever have to go through letting go of the hand of their little child while they're walking through their field of dreams. In an instant, it felt like, I mean, the best way I can describe it is that my own life went from the field to the oven, from a place of beauty to a place of unbearable grief. Yet in that moment, a strange and deep and satisfying peace shined in my heart like a rainbow. And I thought, what is this? Shine through my tears, shine through my broken heart. You see, friends, I found myself in a situation that day where I could trust solely in the Father's goodness. This was not the time, this was not the occasion to place confidence in my flesh. I was two months old in Christ when that happened. Did you know that the lily is never afraid and never under condemnation? Wouldn't you love to live a life like that? Nothing in the world you're afraid of. A lion could stroll in and lay down right next to the lily. That lily wouldn't be the least bit afraid. You could walk by that lily and say, I don't like the way you're looking today. That lily would just keep on shining. The lily is never afraid. The lily is never under condemnation. Why? Because she was created to live life and see good days. She was designed to effortlessly and quietly and patiently and innocently and purposefully and beautifully drink in the rich minerals from the soil of daddy's glory and of daddy's grace. I'm talking about the father's view and opinion of her. Jesus told his disciples that the lily does not work hard to be beautiful nor toil to become anything other than what she was created to be. If the lily could speak, you know what she'd say? She'd say something like this. I put no confidence in my petals. I put no confidence in my flesh to save myself. Whether you put me in the field or you put me in the oven, I'm beautiful. Friends, there are going to be times when we go from the field to the oven. Come on, be real with me now. Be honest with me. There's going to be times in life when you go from the field to the oven. Times when we're thrown into hot persecution, times when we are baked in circumstances that are almost unbearable. There are going to be times when our enemies, and we have plenty of them, we have Satan, we have the world, we have our own flesh. You say, wait, well, what? your flesh is an enemy? Yes, your flesh is an enemy. We have a lot of enemies, friends, but there are going to be times when our enemies attempt to harden us in the kiln of fear and guilt and shame and condemnation. But there are going to be times when we go from the oven back to the field. See, friends, there are times when I'm actually in the oven, technically in my circumstances, but I'm still over in the field in my heart and mind. My circumstances say you're in the oven, but in my heart I'm saying, no, I'm singing in the field, I'm skipping in the field, I'm running through the field. So there are going to be times that we go from the oven back into the field, yeah. It's in these times that we consider, once again, the lilies by reminding ourselves that the Father have clothed us with Jesus' righteousness, a righteousness that transforms us to live effortlessly, quietly. The Bible says, live quiet and peaceful lives. Live quietly and patiently, a fruit of the Spirit, and innocently. That's what the lily stands for, innocence. And purposefully, live life on purpose, and live life beautifully, friends. On August 6th of 1995, guess what? (laughs) I was as lost as lost gets. And on August 7th of 1995, I was born again. One day! You see, sometimes you go from the field to the oven, but that day I went from the oven to the field. Do you see how that works? August 6th, I was lost. August 7th, I was born again. My life had been transformed. You could say it this way. I had moved from the oven to the field, from darkness to light, and from prison to freedom. On April 20th of 2001, There was no such thing as Mrs. Mark James Testerman, (laughs) but on April 21st of 2001, I slipped a ring on Valerie's finger and she became Mrs. Mark Testerman. Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see what I mean? I'm telling you, life has some changes from one day to the next. That's why we shouldn't get bent out of shape when things aren't going our way. When we feel like we're in an oven, maybe you need to see yourself in the mind, in your mind, skipping through the field, picking daisies, smelling the lilies, taking time to enjoy life. Your circumstances don't have to be perfect for you to enjoy life. You can enjoy life in the midst of persecution, in the midst of of chaos in the midst of darkness you see what i mean much can change from one day to the next sometimes it's in a positive way sometimes it's a negative way but we must always trust in god and we put no confidence in the flesh friends flesh and blood did not bring valerie my marriage together no (laughs) i had no confidence in the flesh to make that happen Flesh and blood did not reveal to me that Valerie was picked like a lily for me. That revelation came by the Holy Spirit. It came by the Father. It did. This was a work of Daddy's love. This was a work of Daddy's graces. May I remind us today that the flesh of the flower, neither the colors of the flower, neither the design is what makes the flower beautiful. The designer The orchestrator of beauty is the one who has made the flower beautiful. The flower didn't do that on its own. The designer is the one who made the flower beautiful. If you looked at a painting hanging on the wall, you know there's an artist behind that painting somewhere, don't you? (laughs) That artist may not be in the room for you. He may have not signed it, which would be unusual. But the fact that there is a painting tells you there had to be an artist. And you've got to ask yourself, what is greater, the artist or the painting? Friends, the designer is always greater than the designed. When Jesus said that the lily does not spin, now that's a term we don't use very often, and when we hear it, we're like, what do you mean he does not spin? He's referring to spinning thread to make clothes, a labor-intensive work that the women did in those days, and I'm telling you, it'd wear you out. You'd have to shear a sheep or something, a lamb, a goat, whatever it may be, And then you'd have to, by hand, spin that thread together. I mean, if you're going to make a garment, you've got to have some linear thread working for you, some yarn, if you will, right? And so it was a project to bring all that together and whatnot. And he says the lily doesn't spin like that to make its own clothing friends. That's what Jesus said, that Solomon in all of his glory, not God's glory, but Solomon in all of his glory, that means Solomon in his own view, his own opinion of himself, was not clothed like one of the lilies of the field. Let me say this. We must learn to separate our outward blunders from our inward beauty. And we must learn how to separate our flesh from our spirit man. I was meditating the other day, and this came to my heart. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, did you know that the lily is just as beautiful at midnight as she is at high noon. I thought, what? She's just as beautiful at midnight as she is at high noon. You see, darkness may cover her for the night, but joy and beauty cometh in the morning, friends, when you can lay your eyes on it. But she doesn't cease to be beautiful because the shade has been pulled on day. She is just as beautiful in the dark. When a believer's flesh is in full bloom, <laughs> which is pretty gnarly, friends, when your flesh is in full bloom, it makes it difficult for others to see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because all they see is flesh. I'm talking about Christ in us, the hope of glory. Friends, Jesus' eyes pierce the darkest of night, and he sees the beauty of his finished work resident on the inside of us. And he says, Quit to be. Quit toiling to be and quit spinning to become. You are beautiful trumpets of my love. And you are being transformed by my father's glory. You are being transformed by my father's view and opinion of you. And this is what gets us into trouble, friends, is we start developing our own suspender philosophy where we grab our own suspenders and we say, look what I've done. Look who I am. Look what I've accomplished. No, you are what you are because of what the father is doing on the inside of you. Or it's not even worth talking about, to be honest with you. And so it's so important to understand the father's view of you. How does he see you? He sees you like the lily, always beautiful, trumpeting his love. He sees you this way when he looks at your spirit man, our flesh man. No, but he sees the spirit. He sees the candle inside of our spirit. And he says, you are beautiful. Trumpets of my love. And you are being transformed through my father's glory. You are being transformed through understanding my father's view of you, my father's opinion of you, and he's got a good view of you. He's got a good opinion of you. Bringing light into our dark mindsets is like bringing beauty from ashes. You like that scripture? I do. (laughs) Because the last time I checked, I've thrown away a lot of ashes. I didn't look at ashes and think you can make anything beautiful out of them. Maybe you can put a little line under a football player's eyeball there, but that's about it, friends. You can't make anything beautiful out of ashes, but God can. So we need to start looking at his view and his opinion when he says, man, this issue in your life burned to the ground. But we got to rise up in our spirits and say, but daddy, but my father can rise up beauty, bring beauty from ashes. It's like shining a light on a midnight lily, the flower, the very flower that speaks of innocence and purity. Friends, the lantern that shines the light into our hearts is the gospel of the glory of Christ and it strips away our confidence in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-7, through we find these words. He says, therefore, since through God's mercy... We have this ministry, we do not lose heart. I like those words, we do not lose heart. Seems to me like a lot of hearts are failing people out there, friends, even in the body of Christ. He says, since we have this ministry, the ministry of what? Ministry of the Holy Spirit, ministry of daddy's view, daddy's opinion of you. Since we have this ministry through God's mercy, we do not lose heart. Rather, he says, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. This is what the flesh will get you into, friends, secret, shameful ways, right? Right? he said, we renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. In other words, the flesh is going to get you to do all kinds of things just to kind of cover its own backside. But he says, we don't have to do that because we've got a view and we've got an opinion that comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit of daddy's true picture of us. He says, on the contrary, By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now, I want you to draw your attention to that first word. Do you see that first word? Therefore. I think this was a bad chapter break, to be honest with you, because you should never start a brand new chapter with a word like therefore. Because if you started in chapter four, you wouldn't know what the world he's talking about. Remember, the word therefore means for that reason. Therefore, it makes you look into the rearview mirror. It points to something It says for that reason. You don't believe me? Go look it up in the dictionary. Therefore means for that reason. So he starts off with chapter four saying for that reason. So what is the reason here? Let me, let's ask the question. What is the reason behind us losing heart? He said, you're going to lose heart. He said, if you don't have this ministry mindset, that daddy's view and opinion is good to you. So in order for us to understand what that therefore is, therefore, we have to back up one verse in second Corinthians chapter three and verse 18. This is the last verse before we move into chapter four which tells us what was just said just before the word therefore which is the reason why we shouldn't lose hope hope is our confident expectation of God's goodness 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 and this is what he says and we all with unveiled face beholding there it is the glory that is the word doxa friends that's God's view and opinion of you we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. God has a view and opinion of His Son, Jesus. Would you agree with that? I heard it said this morning earlier, God's got a view and opinion of His Son, Jesus. And the view and opinion that He has of Jesus, Valerie was talking about earlier, is the same view and same opinion that He has of us. His love isn't any different for Jesus than it is for us. His power is not more available for Jesus than it is for us. And so we've got to enlarge our mind. And how do we do that? We come into agreement with his view and his opinion. So he says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image, seeing ourselves the way God sees us, in other words, from one degree of glory to another. Now look what he says. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Where do you see this comes from you at in here? You don't see it, do you? It's not your view. It's not your opinion. It's not your flesh. It's not your hard work. It's not your toiling. It's not your laboring. It's not your spinning. He said, this comes from the Lord. In other words, it's not a work of our flesh who is the spirit. Now, please, I want you to take daddy's view and opinion of you. And I want you to lock that revelation in the hope chest of your heart this morning. God's view and opinion of Jesus is also God's view and opinion of us. Friends, That revelation alone, that revelation alone brings transformation. It lets go of the leash really that has us tethered to the flesh, to be honest with you. Let's look at the scriptures again. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Now they make sense. He's talking about the glory he's talking about the view and opinion that he has of Jesus he's talking about the view and opinion that he has of us because why because our faces are unveiled now so we can see we're no longer behind a curtain we can see it all now so we get to behold the glory of the Lord so he says therefore since through God's mercy we have this ministry we do not lose heart rather we have renounced secret shameful ways we do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Next scriptures. Look at these. And it says, and even if our gospel, that's the good news, is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. The gospel is not veiled to us, friends. The good news is available for every believer to see. Now, whether they take time to see the good news, that's up to them. Whether they take time to come into the view and opinion that the Father has of them, that's up to them. But the gospel is not hidden from us. The good news is not hidden from us. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God, that is small g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Unbelievers, do you see that? So that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, the view and opinion of Christ. Friends, precious. Perfect, pure, sinless, dying for you and me so that he could give us what he has. He didn't give us anything that he doesn't already have. And so it says this gospel displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If I were to take you all the way back to Genesis in chapter one, God said, let us make man, let us make him in our image and after our likeness. Friends, we're made in the image of God. Yes, Adam lost it, yes, but Jesus gave us back the image at the cross so that the veil could be taken away, so that we could behold his glory, so that we could behold not only his own beauty, but we could behold the opinion and the view he has of us, which is always good, never negative. Next scriptures. For what we preach, I love this, look at those words. For what we preach is not ourselves. That has set you free all by itself. Quit preaching about you. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. This is what Paul's writing. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did he say that? Genesis chapter 1. Let there be light. And God said, look, I'm going to give you a brand new start, a brand new beginning. I'm going to put light in your chaos. I'm going to put light in your darkness. And so these scriptures are saying, let light shine out of darkness. Look at this. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light. That word light means revelation to give us the revelation of the knowledge of what? In God's glory. Not just his majesty and beauty. We can't see that. But we can come into the revelation of what his viewpoint looks toward us. We can come into the revelation of what his opinion is about us. How? Through the scriptures, through the spirit. What else would we need? He said, made his light shine in our hearts in our mind, in our will, in our emotions, to give us the light, to give us the revelation of the knowledge of God's glory. Look at this, what it says, displayed, I love this, in the face of Christ. He said, son, daughter, all you got to do is look at my son. There's a light that will never burn out right there. That's an eternal light right there. You want to see what my view and opinion of you are? Look at my son. Because when I look at my son, I look at you. When I look at you, I look at my son. And to be honest with you, you look the same. Does the scripture make sense? Now, as he is, so are we in this world. Full of light, full of glory, full of power, full of revelation. Next scripture. Look at this. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that this all-surpassing power, how many of you want all-surpassing power? Can you imagine having a car that's an all-surpassing car, just passes everything? Oh, yeah. It's an all-surpassing power. You've already got it, friends. He says right here, but we have, not we're going to get in heaven someday, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's resident on the inside of us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels for what? to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's from God. Everything that you've got is from God. I think that's why when Valerie and I were in Nicaragua and we laid hands on a little blind girl and gave her her eyesight just like that, I didn't try to draw any attention to me or the rest of the people. I just got up and And the mother was in tears, and we just walked away and just went next. (laughs) That's what we did. Who's next? And little did I know that someone had snapped a picture. I didn't know about it until it was on the front page of Andrew Womack Ministries' newsletter a couple of months later. I didn't know anybody was taking pictures of that. And I was down on my knee like this with that little four-year-old girl with my hands on her head, but delivering all-surpassing power. Who did I get that power from? God. I didn't get it from me. I got it from him. We all get it from God. We can't put any confidence in the flesh, friends. I really do. I was thinking him on the way this morning, quietly, as we were driving here, going, Father, if you don't show up during this message, I ain't got anything to say, to be honest with you. And that is the way I feel every time I minister. I don't care if it's here or there or everywhere. This is the way I feel. If you don't show up, I have nothing to say. I put no confidence in my flesh. I really don't. The word treasure translates as deposit or wealth. <laughs> Doesn't that change that scripture a little bit? But we have this deposit. What's the deposit? Well, we have the Holy Spirit, of course. He's our deposit guarantee and he's coming back for us. He says we have this deposit. We have this wealth in us, it says, in our earthen vessels. So let's ask the question, what is this treasure that we possess in our earthen vessels? Let's keep it all in context. What is this treasure? He says, you've got a treasure on the inside of you. You've got a wealth chest on the inside of you. What is this wealth that has been deposited on the inside of us? Well, the context of these scriptures tell us that this treasure is the gospel that displays the glory. So what's the glory? It's daddy's view and opinion of us communicated to us through Jesus' finished work on the cross. <laughs> That's good news, isn't it? This good news is what causes light to shine out of our darkness. But the best news is that all of the power of transformation, all of the power to renounce secret, shameful ways, all of the power to remove the veil is from God. And not from us so what am i trying to say i'm saying that we have a treasure on the inside of us inside our earthen vessels that allows no provision for confidence in the flesh this all surpassing power is from god now would you like to know what we discover when light is shined into our hearts <laughs> would you like to know that like the midnight lily we discovered that we were always beautiful we were always beautiful. And so it is when we walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the scriptures say, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm going to draw your attention to the probably the most powerful word, other than Christ in that scripture right there and it's that small preposition in i n that is one of the most important words in that scripture because if you're not in christ and that scripture will mean nothing to you therefore if any man be in christ he is a new creation he's a new creature old things have passed away behold all things are become new what is old what has passed away the old nature has passed away the old covenant has passed away old has passed away we've become brand new how many of you know that there are going to be times that your flesh disappoints uh, it disappoints you every one of us have gotten ourselves into debt somewhere throughout life we've got ourselves into bad relationships somewhere throughout life uh, there's been times that we've made decisions that have compromised our health is that true friends does it bring joy to your heart knowing that jesus will never disappoint you it should in fact, we are never a disappointment to him. I love that part. We are never a disappointment to him. I was walking with a guy the other day and, and into my job, and we, as we were walking, I saw a grease spot in the parking lot. I said, you know, if we were ever a disappointment to the Father, that's what we'd look like right there. In fact, I said, uh, that wouldn't even have been there because he would have sent something to lick that thing up too. <laughs> we just wouldn't exist, friends. We are never a disappointment to him. That doesn't mean he agrees and sanctions every one of the things we do, but we are never a disappointment to him. Why? Because he's got a good view of us. He's got a good opinion of us and it doesn't change based on our circumstances. It doesn't change based upon our performance. He always has a good view and opinion. Even when the dark sets, his eyes pierce the darkness and he sees the lily beautiful. He sees you as beautiful We are more beautiful to him than the lily, friend. We are just never a disappointment whatsoever to him. We need to remember that truth the next time our flesh is feeling confident, and the next time our flesh thinks, I got this handled, friends. The next time our flesh wants to toil and spin, and the next time our flesh wants to make its own righteousness. We need to remember that truth. You say, Pastor Mark, you keep talking about this flesh. (laughs) What is the flesh? Boy, that's a big subject. Valerie and I were talking about it yesterday. I said, how would you describe it, honey? And She had her thoughts on it. What is the flesh? Primarily, the flesh is our old way of thinking. Okay? It's our old programming, our old way of thinking. Now, let me see if I can draw a picture in your heart for you. Imagine while you're sleeping tonight, a skunk walks through your backyard. Now, in the morning, you rise and you walk out into your backyard. (laughs) Oh, you know a skunk. (laughs) You start looking for, you smell, you know a skunk smell, don't you? So you start looking for the skunk. Well, that skunk may be miles deep into the woods by your house, but he's left a residue behind that reminds you that he was there. And so it is when we come to Christ. Remember that scripture I just said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When we come to Christ, we may be a new creation in Christ Jesus, but the residue of our old skunky programming is still lingering in the backyard of our mind. Boy, I wish I could just find one person to disagree with me on that. I'd have a field day with them. You know it's true. I know it's true. I know it's true. For me, my flesh had 34 and a half years of bad programming prior to meeting Jesus. I might have you all beat, I don't know. (laughs) 34 and a half years is a long time though, programming about life in general, programming about relationships, and programming about the way I saw God. And even though I had been transformed by the seed of salvation that he put on the inside of me, a seed that cannot be corrupted, my inner beauty in Christ had been hidden by the old covenant clothing that my mind dressed itself in. Do you see what I'm saying there? My physical body said, hey, let's go to church. My mind said, let's dress ourselves in the old covenant because that's all I knew at that time. I didn't understand once his always his. I was trying to work hard to maintain my salvation for the longest time. You see, the flesh can hold memories, it can hold wounds, inner wounds, and indoctrinations that erect strongholds. They build strongholds in our minds. And the flesh does not let go easily of that which it's been programmed with. Flesh results when a man attempts to satisfy his own heart apart from Christ. I've got this. I can do this on my own. Friends, we need help with everything. Remember, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, I don't even do anything unless I hear my father saying it. I've got to see it in my mind first. I've got to hear his words echoing in the chambers of my heart. He said, I've got to hear his word. I've got to hear his heart in this situation. So when we try to satisfy our own Heart, our own desires—if you want—apart from Christ, that's when flesh surfaces. You say, Pastor Mark, how would you summarize flesh in just one sentence? (laughs) Summarize it for me in one sentence. I can walk out of here today, God. Okay, I recognize flesh. All right, you ready for it? Landfill thinking. Landfill thinking. Now, let me see if I can make that more plain for you. Garbage dump thinking. That's what flesh is garbage dump thinking. You know what? You discover very early you're not congruent. You're not compatible with garbage dump thinking. You don't like it. Even though all of us have sins that have been forgiven, we still don't like to sin. Even though we know our sins, past, present, and future, have all been forgiven, we still don't like to sin. We don't enjoy sin. In fact, we hate sin but the enemy's main objective is not to keep you from hating sin. He wants you to hate you. See, there's too many ways to sin. There's only one of you. So he's not going to chase his tail or your tail. He wants you to hate you because if he can get you to hate you, you'll grow to hate most everything and most everyone if you hate you. That's why Jesus would come along and say, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He said, look, this love starts on the inside. You've got to have a good view of yourself. I'm not talking about a view that is made from your own flesh. I'm talking about a view that comes from my father. You have to have a good opinion that comes from my father. And he says, when you see the way he loves you, when you see the way he holds your hand in the field, when you see all these expressions of his goodness, He said, that's going to cause you to fall deeper and deeper in love with my daddy. (laughs) The scriptures tell us that those who do not know God have no desire to please God. Isn't that what it says? Yeah, it does. It says, in other words, they don't mind sin. They don't get convicted about it. They could care less about it. They sin very easily. But as believers of Jesus Christ, sin creates this inner conflict. Yes, our sins have been expunged, removed, deleted, wiped out, taken away, whatever you want to call it. Yes, they've been carried away. They've been taken away once for all, cast into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up again, separated as far as the east is from the west, never to ever surface again. But we still don't like it. So it's healthy for us to remember that once we come to Christ, we are in the spirit. Remember that word I told you a second ago, if any man be in Christ, we are in the spirit in the spirit denotes a fixed position. In other words, it's not a position that you toggle in and out of here one day, gone another. He loves me. He loves me not. No, you are in a fixed position in Jesus Christ. That's what that word means. But that doesn't mean that we don't occasionally walk by the flesh. Look at the next scriptures. Romans chapter eight. Verses 8 and 9, here's what it says. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Look at these words, this will set you free. But you are not in the flesh. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Are you born again? Then the Spirit of God dwells in you. He said, if the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, you are not in the flesh doesn't mean we don't occasionally walk by the flesh, but we are no longer in the flesh. We are no longer in that old nature. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, not a single part of that man belongs to him. 10% of you doesn't belong to God. Either you belong to God or you don't belong to God, friends. There's no such thing as a man being 22% saved. You are 100% saved or 100% lost. That's what he's getting at here. He says, now, if any man have not the Spirit of God... He is none of His. Friends, walking in the flesh and living in the flesh are two different things. You can tell by that scripture right there. You see, I can walk down any street in my city, but that doesn't mean I live on every street in my city, does it? Just because I walk on that street. The scriptures I just read plainly tell us that if the Spirit of God dwells in us, then we are not living in the flesh. It says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. The Greek word for flesh is sarx, S-A-R-X. You can see that word more than 150 times in the New Testament. The first time we see that word sarx, flesh, whatever it may be in the New Testament, is Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying... Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You know, I think that really is not just a curiosity of Jesus. He already has his Father's view and opinion. So he's not trying to figure out what do guys think. He's really working toward his second question about what do you think. So he says, (laughs) who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Wrong. Some say Elias, wrong. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So let's ask the question. Where did these men that are answering that question get their answers from? Had to be the flesh. How do I know? Because the Spirit is never in error. Spirit always leads us into truth and righteousness. So they didn't get their answers from the Spirit, did they? They didn't know. And then here's what Jesus says. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Who do you say I am? See, this is where he wanted to go. He was just setting that second question up. But who do you say I am? Now, I've been walking with you for a while, and I've been teaching you everywhere we go. Remember the lilies? I've been teaching you everywhere we go. I want to see, do you have the revelation yet of who I am? Am I just another man? Am I just another rabbi? Am I just another good soul? Am I just a friend? Well, who am I to you? Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, he's always the first one to talk. Simon Peter, I wish John would say something once in a while. No, Simon beat him to it again. And Simon Peter answered and said, oh, look at that. Thou art the Christ. Friends, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It means the anointed one. Thou art the Christ. And then in case I could be misunderstood, he says, you're the Son, capital S. You're the Son of the living God. Peter's got the right revelation, doesn't he? And Jesus answered and said unto him, look at these words, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood look at that flesh didn't reveal that to you blood didn't reveal that to you the humanity of side of you didn't reveal that to you this was revealed to you by my father which is in heaven you got the right view of me peter you got the right opinion of me peter but you didn't get it from flesh and blood you got it from my father which is in heaven (laughs) That's something to shout about. Your revelation is not from the fruit of human teaching. Your revelation is from the fruit of transformation, which comes only from my daddy. You're being transformed, son. You're being transformed, friend. You're being transformed, my brother. How many of you know that Hollywood can take an ordinary man and you give Hollywood enough makeup and enough time, it can transform them into a monster. You know that's true, don't you? Hollywood can do those kind of things. Sure they can. Even though outward transformation does not directly change the inside of a man, how many of you know that how a man begins to see himself can have transforming influences? In other words, it begins to do something to you, silently, patiently, as you begin to see yourself different than you've ever seen yourself before through the revelation of God's view, God's opinion of you, it begins to change you. That's why I've always said this gospel of grace, this gospel of his dear son is a slow drip. It's an IV drip. It's not a fire hose. It's a patient IV drip, 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 drip. But if you'll let it keep dripping and dripping and dripping, you'll go through a transformation where you see yourself the way God sees you. I could care less how you see me. I could care less how I see me. Friends, what matters to me is how does my father see me. That's what's important to me. From 1934 to the year 2000, there existed a maximum security prison for women in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. The worst of the worst were in prison there. And between the 1930s and the 1980s, Plastic surgery experiments were performed on many of the inmates. You know what they did? They took thousands of volunteers from various prisons, women from all walks of life that had been burdened by scars from accidents and birth defects. And plastic surgeons performed cosmetic and reconstructive surgeries on them, repairing crooked noses, erasing deep facial scars, correcting their birth defects. Would you like to know what they learned through that experiment? with these women? They discovered that 50% or more of the inmates who underwent surgery from the Kingston prison and the Kingston penitentiary did not re-offend once they were released from prison. (laughs) You know what the experiment concluded? That positive, psychological benefits came with the outcome of plastic surgery. In other words, plastic surgery had changed their own view, their own opinion of themselves. And there was one of the doctors, he was more to the west coast out in British Columbia, his name was Dr. Lewison, and he was performing some of the same plastic surgeries on women in prison out there. And he published a study in the Canadian Medical Journal reporting that the program resulted in a significant decrease in recidivism. There's a word we don't use too often. Recidivism is the rate in which people return to prison once released. He said, we've been studying this for years, and we've studied the patients that we've done plastic surgery on, correcting physical defects. And he said the recidivism rate dropped dramatically. In other words, they didn't come back to prison." Not only had plastic surgery lowered the reoffending rate, the recidivism rate, but Dr. Lewison noticed something else, too. He noted that the prisoners who underwent these surgeries behaved better. I find that fascinating, friends. I do. I do. I really do. In fact, he wrote to say that the inmates became polite and gracious. That was his words following plastic surgery. You say, Pastor Mark, can you explain to us what just happened? I think I can. Something as simple as plastic surgery had corrected a physical issue that had made these women feel ugly and act out. If that is true, then how much more is our identity transformed when our hearts are circumcised, oh, not by a scalpel, but by looking into the face of Christ and hearing him say, my father has a good view of you. My father has a good opinion of you. And as we look into the face of Christ through the finished work of the cross, we receive the revelation that the treasure in our earthen vessels reveal that this all surpassing power, this transforming power is from God and not from us. We can place no confidence in the flesh. Now I've been in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I opened with those first seven scriptures, but now let's jump up to verse 15 and look at verses 15 through 18. And let's look at what the Apostle Paul said. He said, all of this is for your benefit. Look at these words. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God, to the doxa of God. And then he picks up that same language that he used in verse 1, where he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, we are like the lily, a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, friends. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed, rejuvenated, restored day by day. Next scriptures. And then I love this part. He says, for our light and momentary troubles, Paul been stoned. He'd been shipwrecked. <laughs> he spent a night and day in the sea. He's been in trouble by bandits chasing after him and everything else. And he says, you know, but look, just our light and momentary troubles are preparing us for something. What's it preparing us for? If you don't like daddy's view and opinion of you right now, you're not going to like it when you get to heaven. He's going to keep that same view and opinion of you forever. It's an eternal view and opinion that outweighs them all. So he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Isn't that beautiful? He's telling us you don't have to lose heart. How are we not going to lose heart when we live in troubled world? How are we going to not lose heart when we're outwardly wasting away? It's what he says here. He says, because inwardly you're being renewed day by day. How? Because we're looking at his glory. We're looking at the brilliance of Christ, the majesty of Christ. We're looking at the Father's view and opinion of us. If we see Christ and we see how he treats Christ, we know he's going to treat us the same way. That's a good view. That's a good opinion, friend, that the Father has for us. My closing scriptures. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brothers, Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Let me ask you a question, friends. Who in the world were the people that the Apostle Paul pinned? such egregious descriptions on. Who are these people? Are they roadside bandits? No, 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 they're not roadside bandits. Are they just dirty, filthy, rotten sinners? No, 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 not that either. Who was Paul referring to when he said, watch out for those dogs? That's hard language. I may have called somebody a dog before I got saved, but I guarantee in 26 years I've never called a man a dog. He said, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers those mutilators of the flesh. Listen to me carefully now. Paul was referring to the Judaizers. The Judaizers followed Paul on his missionary journey everywhere. They just kind of hung out in the shadows. You know why they did that? So that when Paul left, they could come in and steal his churches and steal his converts. I was talking with Valerie about this last night. She said they were like half of the people in Washington, D.C. They didn't really love you. (laughs) They just wanted power. They just wanted to control you. And that's the same thing with these Judaizers. It wasn't out of love, friends. They just wanted control. They just wanted power. But how were they trying to get it? By their own flesh. How do I know? Because the Spirit leads us into truth and righteousness. And the Spirit didn't lead them into that. The Judaizers were the ones that were barking out the false doctrine, nipping at Paul's heels. That's why he called them dogs. The Judaizers were the ones that taught that the sinner be saved by faith plus work. Jesus plus Moses, in other words. The Judaizers were the ones that insisted that circumcision was essential for salvation. And the apostle Paul said, I will have none of this. I leave no provision for the flesh. None of this counts. And so he warned the Philippians that if any religious group were to come along and attempt to change the way that they understood grace, the way they understood God's view and God's opinion of them, that they would lose their confidence. They wouldn't lose their salvation. Salvation is a finished work, but they would lose their confidence and they would lose their identity. Our identity is found in Christ and his finished work. Friends, would you like to know what happens to a believer when he or she loses their confidence, loses their identity? I'll tell you what happens. They return to toiling and spinning. They lose heart in their ability to receive grace through faith. And they sit down at the spinning wheel to make their own clothes of righteousness. They are like a lily that is moved from the field to the oven Wondering all the while, why is this Christian life so hard? (laughs) Well, you're spinning, you're toiling, and Jesus said, quit doing that. Get the view and opinion that my father has for you, and don't let someone come along and talk you out of it. You just tell them, that is not congruent with the gospel. That is not compatible with the gospel. One of the last things the Holy Spirit said to me last night as I was wrapping this message up, I heard these words. Spiritual recidivism tries to take us back to the same prison that we've been delivered from. I'm talking about the prison of condemnation, the prison of poor understanding of daddy's goodness and daddy's view and opinion of us. That's what we'll try to do. But I'm not going there. Verse 3. Look at verse (laughs) 3. For it is we who are the circumcision. In other words, we've been circumcised in our heart. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by His Spirit. Not our flesh. Who glory in Christ Jesus look at those words, and put no confidence in the flesh. That is where the inspiration for this message came from. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3. We put no confidence in the flesh. Friends, I pray that daddy's view and opinion of you has changed your mind and that his view and opinion of you have opened your hearts like the petals of a lily, trumpeting his love, the midnight lily and the high noon lily, singing in perfect harmony the chorus that effortlessly, patiently, innocently, purposefully, and beautifully remind us of the glory, the good view and opinion that God has shown to us in the face of Christ. Isn't it beautiful? Friends, transformation begins when a man comes to the revelation that whatever was to his prophet, he now considers loss for the sake of Christ. The Judaizers' mixture of law and grace was rubbish. And the Apostle Paul recognized it for what it was when he said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider the confidence that I once had in the flesh rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or comes from the flesh, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I'm talking about an identity that works apart. From confidence in the flesh. Friends, consider the lilies. How they grow. They toil not. They spin not. They can go from the field to the oven in a day, yet a lily remains a lily. Our circumstances may change significantly, drastically, dramatically, whatever adjective you want to use, from one day to the next but our identity never changes. Whether we are blossoming in the field or burning in the furnace, we are always in Christ. We have a fixed position. Once a son, always a son. Once saved, always saved. Once his, always his. (laughs) Our identity is found in Jesus Christ and his finished work. Friends, here are the questions once more that Jesus asked his disciples Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and some Jeremias, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But who do you say I am? Do you have this revelation? Do you have the view and opinion of my Father toward you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. Friends, everything in our Father's kingdom comes by grace through faith. Everything comes by revelation from the Father. We can put no confidence in the flesh in Jesus' name. Daddy, I want to thank you so much. Thank you so much that we could learn such a a magnificent lesson for something as simple as a lily. The next time I see a lily adorning a table in my home, trumpeting your love, trumpeting the good view and opinion that it received by what? The seed that it came from. And so, Father, as I look deep into my spirit and I see that seed of righteousness, that seed that you implanted on the inside of me when I was born again, a seed that cannot be corrupted, I have to do the same thing the lily does. Trumpet your goodness. Be thankful, Father, for your view and opinion of me. And I thank you, Father, that your view and opinion of us does not change based on geographics, based on circumstances. We can be in the field one moment, we can be in the oven the next. But Daddy, I want to thank you that even like the three Hebrew children that were thrown into the fiery furnace, their view and opinion did not change of view when they went from the outside of the furnace to the inside of the furnace, when they went from the field to the oven. And we can learn so much as we look across the timeline of the scriptures, in particular in this new covenant, where we see the glory of God, the doxa glory of God, the good view and the good opinion that you have of us, the same view and opinion that you have of your son, Jesus Christ. So I'm thankful that Jesus took a moment so that we could read about it 2,000 years later when he would say the words to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter got it right. He got it right. He had a view and opinion that had been shaped by the revelation that only came from the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.